What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Surf and Sales podcast. I'm one of your two hosts. I'm Scott Lease, and I'm here with my good friend and co-host Richard Harris. Together, we make the Surf and Sales podcast, and we're brought to you this month by our good friends at Gong, the game changer for sales leaders, as well as Vidyard and Lead411.com, as well as Salesforce Sales Cloud. And we're here with a, a guy we haven't talked to in a long time. At least I haven't talked to him in a long time. I think we just figured out it's been a few years, uh, which is bad on me for uh, not, uh, not reaching out sooner, Brandon. We're here with Brandon Redlinger, the uh, Senior Director of Product Marketing at Ring DNA. Welcome to the show, Brandon. Yeah, it's good to be here, guys. So I, I think this is kind of coming full circle. I had both of you on my podcast five years ago when when Ben Sardella and I were doing the the, the podcast when I was at Persist IQ. He was at Data Nice. It's kind yeah, of full circle. We've been on here too. I totally yeah. I haven't talked yeah, to Ben. In, he likes, he likes sort of. It's been, been five in six five six years. So yeah, it's been the last time that, the last time that we talked actually, man. So. Yeah, I, I was going to say something bad about Ben, but I guess I can't unless he's here. It makes it less fun just behind his back. You can. We don't care. <laughs> We're not going to. We'll, send, we'll, we'll send him your, your comments and then we'll bring him on the show and he can fire back. So, right. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Brandon, let's start here. Tell everybody, um, you know, who's, who's listening, what the heck a senior director of product marketing does? What is product marketing specifically? And, and, Tell us a little bit about your role and and, uh, and and Ring DNA, so people have some context. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, Ring DNA, um, we 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 basically help people uh, drive more revenue per sales hour, and we do that with a, a suite of products that help people be more productive, more efficient, um, helping sales coaches coach their reps better. And specifically what I'm doing in product marketing. um, So the way that I see product marketing, and I actually get this question a lot. I think think product marketing is one of those things that's kind of like um, just now really coming into um, mainstream a little bit more and becoming a, a spotlight on teams. But so there's like, the way that I see product marketing is five real like key pillars. Um, you are doing market research and gaining insights. You're doing like the, the messaging, the positioning of your product and your company. Uh, a big part of it is sales enablement. So I work very closely with my sales team and my sales development team. Um, there are like your go-to-market strategy and launches, right? When you're launching new products, you're bringing products into market. Um, and then the, the fifth pillar Sometimes it's in product, sometimes it's in marketing, sometimes it's in sales, um, but wherever it sits, it should be a key part of product marketing as well. And it's pricing and packaging, how you actually price and package your products and your services. So yeah, th- those are the real three or the five key pillars that I see uh, go into product marketing. I'd love to dive into pricing and packaging. Really? I don't know that we've ever really gone gone deep on this topic in all of our 250 plus. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, and, and this, this is really relevant um, for people who are early stage, um, you know, founders or sales leaders or whoever, because sometimes I just feel like, what do you think we can sell this thing for? Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That becomes the number where you start. So how, do, how does one go about properly, you know, figuring out um, 
what do you put in these packages? What do they cost and why? Give us some of the, the theory and, and practical advice there. Yeah, so the, the thing that you really have to start out figuring out first is, uh, it's called a value metric, but like as this goes up, what's the value that the, the customer is seeing? So, uh, I mean, it, a good example, um, example that's often used is the more emails that you collect for a marketing automation system, the more value that the customer is going to see, right? So the more emails, the more names, the more like contacts that you can collect, like it's going to be more valuable to them. So that's why you see like Marketo or HubSpot or Pardot, they actually charge on actual contacts that you keep in your marketing automation systems. Um, but this actually, it, it gets more complicated if you have, you know, product suites or if you have like an ABM product, right? So I, I used to be, you know, at, at Engageo and Demandbase where we were ABM, but the more value that a company got from, or the, the, yeah, the more value that a company would get from an ABM solution, it's because they're doing more enterprise marketing, right? And enterprise are actually selling to fewer accounts. So how do you actually figure out what that value metric is? And there are a lot of thing that, things that go into this too. It's like, it's gotta be pretty obvious to the so end what user. Is, so what, just as an example, right? Cause you know, th this is all really good, but it's super high level, right? So if, if people are listening, if you were running a pricing and packaging, you know, discussion for 30 minutes, what would be the three things that you'd want them to walk away with going, okay, this is what I need to know better. And when you say value metric, like what is, what does that even mean? Right. So, and, and I'm asking, um, simply because, um, you know, we have a lot of salespeople listening and they don't understand what product marketing is doing. Right. And so I want them to sort of get your side of why this is, why this matters to them. Yeah. So, so yeah, your, your value metric is just like, what's, what's the thing that like, what, as they get more of these, what like things in your product, like, how does the value of your product go up? Right. Like are the, the more emails that they send, it's the higher value, the more that they will get from your product. Is it the more calls that they make that they'll get more value from the product? Right. It's, it's whatever the thing is that actually delivers the value for the customer. So when you're trying to figure out like my value metric, it's what, what's the value really that my, my product. So, so I'm a ring DNA rep and um, I'm a ring DNA rep and I need to understand that this particular part of the suite, right. Whether, I don't know, auto dialer or recording this piece delivers this value to my customer. And mm -hmm. I need to articulate that value based on the pains that customer has around not being able to do it. Is that how you sort of try and determine the value metric? It's not even how do you articulate to them? It's just like plain straight up when they, when they have more of these units, they see more value in your product. Okay. And does that value mean money? For them, it could be, it could mean value, it could mean money, it could be time saved, could be insights, like what, whatever value is in their mind. So that, that's why a lot of times this starts with interviewing your customers, talking to your customers, like specifically customers, right? And start with the customers that are most engaged with you. Could be, 
uh, highest um, daily active users. It could be just the, the company that's spending the most money with you. There's a lot of things that you could like a, a lot of these uh, indicators that a customer is a good customer. Now go talk to them, ask them what is the value that they're seeing in the product? What are, what are the actual outcomes that they're getting? We're talking a lot about <clears throat> direct value, but there's also perceived value right? Yep. as well, right? And, and so one of the things that I was thinking about as you were talking was, you know, the price increases that companies make over the course of the lifetime of the organization. What, what are the inflection points in your mind, um, you know, where somebody can say double their costs, triple their costs? incrementally add it, make it, make it larger. Cause every sales leader out there is getting, you know, ACV and average sales price, um, you know, lift kind of goals. Right. So like, how yeah. do you know, how do you know when it's right to increase the prices? So I, <laughs> this is kind of a, uh, a general rule, but it's almost like, where is the point when you as a leader start to feel a little bit uncomfortable in, in the increase and then pick that number. It's like, it, it's just being a little bit beyond comfort for you. But I also think there's, there is a lot to be said about doing uh, like th there's price and price sensitivity surveys out there, like the Van Westendorf survey. Um, but if you do something like that, um, it, it is quite a longer engagement and you will want someone, you know, an outside third party vendor to help you with those if you've never done it before. But a, like a lot of this honestly is like, talking with customers and asking them questions. And, and honestly, it's asking them the same question in like 20 different ways. It's like, how much would you be willing to pay for this? And then figure out 20 different ways to ask that question. And then you can start to actually graph the numbers where they will uh, st a, stop paying for it. Can you rename that report that you just mentioned? That oh, yeah. Yeah. Van Westendorp survey. And it's a price sensitivity, price sensitivity survey. Van what? what? Van Westendorf. Westendorf. Okay. Now here's my next question. This one's for you, Scott, based on Brandon's assumption, how much would you raise your price to where you'd be uncomfortable? <laughs> you don't have to give the number, but I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, curious no. what it's, that makes you think. That's interesting because I've always been somebody that got, I'm uncomfortable with raising it a dollar. <laughs> every, <laughs> every incremental raise of the price, I always have this like, Oh God, so much apprehension um, around and we'd, we'd do it anyways. But to answer your question, Richard, probably 20, 25%. And that's usually what people end up at. Oh, like, how about that? Yeah. They're like, yeah, I, I start to feel a little, little bit at 18 or 20%. Like I really don't like my, my sales, I think are going to drop. So Scott, now go back to, to your last gig of Qualia. Do you, you know, with what you know, and granted, it's been a, almost two years, you know, since you were really officially there, would you go back and advise them based on this conversation? You should raise your prices 20%, see what happens. Uh, I actually did this multiple times when I was there and 20%, um, I mean, we did it a lot more than that, to be honest with you. Um, so I, they probably could get away with it, knowing, knowing how that business is going and what's going on in that industry right now. Um, I think a lot, I think a lot of people just undervalue themselves and their hundred percent, hundred percent. Absolutely. Yeah. We're all, 
we all are a little bit uncomfortable, I think, with, you know, saying I'm worth this, mm -hmm. <laughs> this much more. So, you know, especially some people or products that have a difficult time tracking an ROI as well. That, that, that's another, you know, piece of this that's, uh, it's kind of tricky. So, and, and one thing that we've been seeing recently too is like, the service, like how you deliver their service. It's the team that matters a lot too, right? It's not the specific software that you sell them. It's like the relationship with the team. So we've, we've been seeing this a lot in, in the last two or three years. It's like, I actually just really like them. I trust them. I yeah. trust their team, right? Like and that's worth X that's, in terms of the value. And that's so hard to quantify too. So totally. that's why yeah. that's why these prices. I mean, some people some people would pay more just to have that level of comfort with the services or or feel that way, right? Hundred percent. And yeah, it's it's crazy. Like I, I even remember not that long ago, a few months ago, buying a software. Like I I knew that maybe they weren't the best out there, but I was most confident in that team. And I was most confident in my implementation manager yeah. because I, I've, I've had software in the past before where I bought it. And I know I was only successful because I had a kick-ass implementation manager. I've had implementation managers before that were just like, here, do these things, whatever, check, check, check. And then you go out there and you're like, well, I, I still don't really know what I'm doing here. And you're going to fail. Like, it doesn't matter if it's the best software out there or if it's a shitty software, you're going to fail. So that's why I think like relationships matter a lot in sales these days. So the I mean, opposite, obviously the opposite of this would be the price pricing objection. So what, what, what are some of the ways that the uh, product marketers address the like, Oh, that's too expensive kind of a, objection. The typical pricing objection. Is it different at all than how salespeople address those things? How do you think about that? So yeah, when, as a product marketer, if I hear that, like, I want to go listen to the calls when someone actually says that, right? Like, I'm going to go listen to all of the calls. We're throwing Dana, I can easily just pop in and say, uh, I'm looking for calls when they mention that. And then I want to listen to those calls. Like, what's, what's behind that? Is it the rep it's himself or herself didn't actually do that good of a job at provide, like describing the value? Or is it they are coming from a different software that was just really low end pricing, right? Like there's, there's a lot that I want to dig into to see what's, what's behind that. And am I really seeing a pattern? Is everyone, is everyone saying uh, it's too expensive because I haven't trained my, like I, as a product marketer, haven't worked with my sales team to describe that value enough to tell the story? And honestly, a lot of times that's the case. Like I, as a product marketer, want my positioning and my messaging and my company's story to land better than anyone else and everyone else out there. And then pricing almost becomes like, uh, you know, details, right? Like yeah, so I want my I'll, team to sell the story. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break this down. And how I, and I've been talking about this a lot more is that, you know, we need to get away from this phrase of objection handling. Right. And nobody wants to be handled. Scott, I'm going to handle you later today. Right. Like that doesn't make Scott happy. Like I can see the look on his face aside from just laughing about it. Cause he's like, you can't fucking handle me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but 
So what I what I tell and, and pricing is one of those places because oftentimes pricing comes up and then we try to like come up with this one or two sentences to object to object to their objection, right? And that's right. What and what I encourage people to do is you know you don't handle objections you marinate in them you sit there and you ask more questions oh what's your concern about that you know where is that mm -hmm. how could how could this be better right and you end up asking more questions instead of trying to objection handle with statements so that's like just sort of a, it's a i think that's what good people good sales people already know how to do but it's just a different way to view it so um but i i like that i, I like what you're saying of like we got to dig in to see, is it the rep? Is it really the value? Is it, you know, where is it missing? And, and uh, then if you, if you come across that multiple times, then maybe go to your, your product marketing team and be like, Hey, I need a little bit of help getting in front of this. What can you mm -hmm. do as a marketing team to help me like prime the market a little bit better? Yeah. Um, I want to, I want to shift a little bit to sort of like, these questions are a little bit more like, um, the relationship between product marketing and sales, right? Mm -hmm. so, um, well, the first one is how do you know when the product's ready to be sold? Aside from, okay, it works, which, <laughs> right? How do you, is, the, is there something there? And maybe it's like, okay, we're going to price it MVP, right? At, yep. You know, um, how, how do you recommend that as a product marketer? Uh, so, so usually when I'm launching a product, like I'll have an alpha or a beta group, right? And then like once, once, and, and, and then during every, every beta group, I will set like my, my key performance metrics. And I also set my, like, this not ready to, to, to launch it. Like a lot of people are just like, I, I'm, I'm going to do a beta. We're going to end it at the end of the quarter. Then we're going to launch. It's like, no, what are the things that actually tell me that my product is ready to launch. It could be active usage of your product. It could be emails that they send. It could be contacts that they put into your system. It could be you know, any of these different things, but you have to just define that upfront and then make sure your customers um, actually hit those. And then once they hit those, then it's gonna be ready to launch. And if they don't hit those, it's like, okay, did I set the wrong metrics or is my product really not there? And you have to be honest with yourself. I think that, I think that's one of the hardest things is like your, your head of product or your engineers are like, of course this is fucking ready. To, like, what are you talking about? I'm wondering if, if, if you guys, this is for both of you, <clears throat> do you think people try to go to market too soon typically before the product is ready? Or do you think they wait too long and try to put too much in and try to make it perfect before they go to market. So I, I, I think if your leader is like, if your CEO is a salesperson, he'll try to push it too early. If your leader is a product person, he'll wait too long. I think I, I, I actually love that. That's a really, good <laughs> I didn't, that's what I think in my head. Like I'm not a perfectionist, like let's fucking go. We can, try. <laughs> yeah. and, and I'm the other way, right? Like I'd be like, well, Scott, we can't do this yet. We can't do that yet. Like, <laughs> you know, I've also worked with Scott and I've seen him pre-sell something that didn't exist. Wait, wait, a salesperson pre-selling something that's not ready yet? No, never, never. never. Yeah. And Scott, correct me, a team of eight or 10 you guys closed about a hundred grand in revenue before. Yeah. Right. So like on, on, on the idea when the product, just on the idea of the concept. So this is, I didn't this even have, where, even a demo. there wasn't even a demo of the product. Yeah. So. so there was nothing there. 
Um, and there, eventually there was, but, you know, um, talk, I want to talk to you, coming back to this relationship, right, of, of you and the sales team, getting feedback, right, whether it's pricing or anything else, right? Because oftentimes, you know, you know, I hear the, you know, and this is the specific example when I'm training sales teams is that, oh, it's really hard to sell up against this competitor because they do this way better than us, right? And sometimes they do. And sometimes, you know, you do things better than your competitors. So you have to sort of dig in on that. But, and they're like, well, we can't get good messaging from product. I'm like, well, that's not sales's job. Like that's a product marketing problem, right? And 100%. So for those, yeah. So for those who are listening, Brandon's shaking his head. So how do they give that feedback in a way that's supportive rather than whiny, right? Where it's like, you know, product marketing goes, just fucking close it and, you know, <laughs> you, just it, you know, that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Um, well, I, I might be a little bit different in that. Like I started my career off in sales. So I have a lot of empathy towards sales. I, I've read way more sales books than I have read like marketing or like positioning books or anything like that. So like, I, I really hope that your product marketer has just a lot of empathy for you as the, the seller. But if you don't have that, that's not to say you can't work with your product team. Um, like I, I think your product team, your, your product marketers want to hear what's happening out there in the market. So it could be like, here's a recording of a, a recent sales call, right? Like actually let them listen to, it's like, you know, 12 minutes in, Here's what happened. Listen to this. This happens a lot. Like, how can we work together together to overcome this? I, like, I, I really do think product marketing and your sale, like your frontline salespeople, should be in constant communication. So, whether I don't care if that's like a how do you, how do you define constant uh, communication? Like, what does that cadence look like? Is it literally every day messaging each other? Is it once a month, once a quarter, once a week? There's some type of meeting or forum. What does that look like in your mind? Yeah, so like at the very minimum, once a month, um, I would say most frequently I see teams um, getting talking with their their product marketing teams, but like bi-weekly every other week. And what, but about, if, what about for the sales leader? I, I want them talking weekly, to be honest. Like, I, I don't, I don't care if it's yeah. um, like, if there isn't like a set agenda and it's like, you know, what? I don't have anything to talk about this week. Of course you fucking do like get, get on the team or get, get on the phone and tell them this is what I've been hearing or this big deal closed because of this, or we keep running into this objection or whatever that might be. I don't think my, my team is good enough at telling this story or they're not ready to sell this product yet or whatever it is like that there are things that you as a sales leader should be telling your product marketer and product marketers out there if you're not getting this from your sales leader go ask them any of those questions that i just listed there yeah. like there, there's plenty to talk about um and then if like i think it's also really important to talk to the reps themselves too like i i'm always like if i haven't heard from a rep in yeah honestly maybe about a month then I'll just reach out and say, hey, I, we haven't actually talked for a little bit. Like, let's jump on a quick 30 minute, I mean, hell, 15 minute phone call. Like, what are you hearing out there? Or um, like, I, honestly, I, I, a lot of work that I do is on like 
case studies and references and testimonials. You get great insight into that. It's also a great way to, to, you know, give a sales rep, you know, a little extra responsibility. They're always looking to grow their skill set. Here's where their opinion matters. They can learn how to work cross-functionally around teams. So like sales leaders, if you're like, you know, that sort of promotion path, which we're going to sort of get into with, with Brandon or career pathing, it's like, it's a great way to, for those people who want to do it to sort of test the waters and see what it's like to actually work versus complain. Right. Not that all all salespeople complain, but like, you know, it's it's a great thing. And then they feel more valued as an employee. Yeah. You mentioned, you know, you started in sales, right. And then you, then you, then you switched to the dark side. (laughs) The dark side. Yes. (laughs) Um, What was your sales career like? What did you like? What did you learn? How's it helped you in product marketing? Like, you know, well, it's a really it's a really unique career path you don't typically see people go from sales to sales leadership to all of a sudden go into product marketing I right know, i think if you ask a sales leader or a salesperson who was maybe considering like getting out of sales and like where where do i go next i don't think product marketing would be a typical answer it'd be like sales ops maybe account management recruiting, right? So, yeah, totally. Yeah, I'm super interested in that. Yeah, so um, I, I started off, like my first my first real job, I call it a real job out of school, is that like an SDR. Um, of course, we didn't call it SDRs back then, um, but I, I, I took a job at a company just kind of hoping to get into that company. And they're like, yeah, we have this sales position open for you. Um, so I was like, okay, this seems interesting. Yeah, sure, why not? Um, and then ended up uh, doing that for six months, moved up to an AE, carried a bag for a bit, uh, for a few years. And then I, I always, at that time, I was like, you know what, I'm just going to build my sales muscle because I want to start my own company someday. Because um, I was doing, I was doing, uh, I mean, in previous life, I was a health coach, I was a nutritionist, I was a, a certified trainer. I always wanted uh, to start a, a health and wellness uh, business. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to learn the sales side of things, and I actually ended up loving it. Uh, it was it was a great company. It was a great product. Uh, it was a great team, and I kind of really fell in love with sales. But then, um, how I made the transition to marketing, I, I met the head of marketing at that company, and she was a marketo ninja. She was like the you know marketo champion, and she's like, marketing is very scientific. Like I know that if I put in a dollar over here you know, 40 days later, it's going to come out a dollar 42. But if I put in a dollar over in this other section, like, you know, 20 days later, it's going to come out a dollar 20. And I really have to weigh like, where do I want to put my money? And, uh, you know, she, she really made marketing a science for me. So that's when I actually made the move over to marketing. And every marketing job I've had, like, I've gotten along with the sales team really well, just because I had that background, like I was in sales, I knew what they were going through. And I view marketing, like marketing's job really is there to support sales, make sales easier, right? It's there, they're there to make sales easier. And I think if you take that approach, you're not going to make enemies with sales, right? Like any team that I've come on, and I told them that's, that's what I think my job is that they're like, yeah, we love you. Sure, come on. (laughs) You know? yeah, that's, that's also an uncommon uh, answer in my in my experience, and one that I'd be more than happy to go work with and alongside. <laughs> yeah, hell yeah. Um, so you then, mentioned you mentioned starting um, 
you know, as an SDR, we've had other marketers on here before who believe the SDR org report into marketing and not sales. Do, do you agree with that? And if so, why? Um, geez. Uh, so I, I, I like them reporting to marketing because I have a little bit more control over that. <laughs> so, um, but, but honestly, I, I don't know. I, I kind of take a Trish Bertuzzi answer to this. It's like, oh, I don't care. Like who, who has more passion, who has more um, skill, who has more like ability to run that SDR team. I, so I actually ran an SDR team for a little bit myself um, at, at the Engageo days. Um, and like they, my number was more closely aligned with the SDR number, which is pipeline. And I have a lot more control over how they're qualifying, how they're being um, developed, how they're being trained, their career paths. One, one common objection I hear from sales reps that uh, the SDR team should be under sales is just the career path. But I don't think anyone's under any delusion that a sales development rep might become a salesperson after that, right? <laughs> I think that's crazy to see just because they're under marketing that they might not take a sales role yeah. next. Yeah, like, I, I agree with that. That's, that's, that's good. That's a good point. Do you think that the CRO chair is, uh, should be open to people who are heads of marketing as well as heads of... <laughs> uh, yes, 100%. Look, like a, a CRO with a sales background who's running marketing is just a sales guy running marketing. Um, I, I don't see meaning, you know, meaning equally as qualified or equally as clueless as a marketing person running sales. Uh, yeah, equally as clueless. No, that, I, I think that's that's fair. That is very fair. Um, but like, yeah, so many times when I see a CRO with a sales background, it, it's it's just a sales guy now running marketing. Yeah, yeah. Do you do you still have aspirations to build your own own company, and do you feel like you feel better prepared now that you've spent um, at least the last year on the in the marketing side of the house after having years of experience in in sales. Yeah, and I all these different buckets, and now you've spent a good chunk of time in at least at least two of the you know disciplines, if you will, that would fall under like founder expertise. Yeah, totally. I I, I think eventually someday, you know, maybe this is probably five, 10 years out, I think I have a lot to learn yet because, you know, doing sales and then, uh, you know, running demand gen previously, and now I'm on the more strategic side of marketing. I think I have more to learn on marketing and leadership. And, um, you know, I honestly, I think the, the best sales rep and the best marketers understand business better than anyone else. So Wait, I think I've... You think you need to do more before you start your own business? Uh, not necessarily. I don't know. You, no, you're no, right. No. Yeah, you're right. right. Yes or no answer. Ah, uh, fuck. Um. <laughs> well, it's interesting because, because what, what you said, Brandon, was like you got more to learn before you do that. But the thing is, like, you could run the risk of always having that answer. That's like, true. That's true. Right? Like, yeah. you could say that. I could say that. That's, you know? that. that's sort of where I'm going because I sit here and I go, I didn't know fuck all about marketing and branding and stuff. Yeah, right? We still don't. Right. So, so like, don't over-engineer yourself. That's right? true. That's fair. That's my advice. Now, you know, um, 
you know, I, I, I can also appreciate like as a nutritionist and, you know, those things are very scientific and, you know, you want to get as precise as you can, you know, down to calories burned, calories eat, sugar intake, you know, all those things. I can see that being a big piece of this, but don't, don't let it, uh, you know, don't, don't let it prevent you from starting something. Right. So no, that's, that's true. In, I, I, Howard in, in the ring DNA team, we're not trying to, to get Brandon. to quit. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know Howard, Howard would, Howard, yes, he wants you to work there and he loves you, but yeah, he, also, he, he wants people to follow their passions. Like he's very, that is true. That that's one thing I really appreciate about Howard and the yeah, team. You know, that whole organization over there is yeah. all about, you know, being happy at what you do. Right. Um, yep. Those kinds of things. So, so yeah, so you got to go for it, man. Stop, stop, you know, I, I think, yeah, no, I, I think when, when the right thing comes along, like I'll know it and I'll be ready. Um, but there's, there's no Bernie to, like, there, there are some entrepreneurs out there who are just like always itching to like build their own thing or do their next thing. I, I don't think that's quite me, but it's not me to just sit around and always just like work for someone else. You know, I would agree. I think I was more like, more like you and it just sort of fell in my lap and Scott, yeah. I know Scott well enough to say that he's always wanted to do what he's doing and work for himself. And he just had to sort of get to that place uh, yeah, I just, I, financially. Yeah, I risk adverse a, a little bit, like took my time, you know, but uh, I definitely always had the, I definitely always knew that I was going to go this particular route. Yeah. You know? What did, what did, I always love asking this. What did your parents think you were going to be growing up? What did my parents think I was going to be? Um, that's a good question. Like when I, when I was really young, um, geez, I don't know, like maybe a farmer. Cause I, so my, my dad, his family, they're all farmers. Like he's the first one to actually put himself through college. So whenever we went back to Iowa, I, like the farm was my favorite freaking place to be. I loved the farm so much. And I have a lot of aunts and uncles who are still farmers or like they, they own a hog operation. Like, you know, thousands of hogs and they're making great money doing what, that too. What did you like doing on the farm? What was one of your favorite activities? I, um, driving the tractor. <laughs> well, that makes sense. Everybody loves doing that. When yeah, exactly. <laughs> you still enjoy that, I think, as an adult. Yeah, that, that never gets old. Yeah, no, that, that's awesome. What, um, and were they surprised that you decided to go into business or were they, they kind of realized it later? Like, um, I think... I think they always knew I was like pretty ambitious. Um, I'll kind of, I've always been one to do whatever the hell I wanted, uh, like move out or move across the country or whatever, whenever I wanted to. So I, I don't think I would say they were that surprised when I was just like, all right, like I'm right, right after school, I went out to the East coast. It's like, all right, I'm going to work in New York now. See you later. You know? Got it. Got it. So we need to, we need to start moving to wrap up, but you know, we are in, give a quick shout out to our sponsors and ask our question of, you know, what can we do for you? What questions do you have for us? But quick shout out to Vidyard, Lead411, Salesforce, Sales Cloud, and of course, Gong.io, the game changer in sales intelligence, um, which, um, you know, we're always happy to have their support. So, uh, Brandon, what, what can we do for you? Um, well, can, can I ask one question then to make uh, maybe one uh, request? Of course. Yeah. All right. So, so how... How can uh, product marketers work better with sales? Oh, that's a good question. I, Go ahead. I think um, 
I think for me, it's all about use cases and case studies mm. and understanding that value of always being able to say, hey, everybody, you know, here's something we've heard from a pro- from a, somebody, you know, I think that's one thing. I think um, customer quotes are huge. Like these are very tactical things, right? Like how can we do this? Um, you know, here's, a, here's some customer quotes we're allowed to use versus the ones we aren't allowed to, you know, you can say anonymously, but you can't mention their name, you know. Those things are the things that I think sales is always looking for. Um, mm-hmm. And it's one of those things where the more you give back to sales because we're so selfish, the more you'll get back from them, right? You'll, it'll be easier for you to be able to say, hey, can I ask you some questions um, when you're sort of always making sure they have the things that matter, right? The case studies, the use cases, the customer quotes, um, Hey, we just heard that someone's using it this way. You know, we'd love to have a meeting with a couple of salespeople and see how we could articulate the value of that and totally those kinds of things. So, I will, well, answer, so. one quick thing on that um, sales website. I know you want like numbers and stats and percentages, like yeah. you want actual hearts. Um, and and sometimes that's hard for product marketer or like marketing to deliver. Instead of just going like pounding your fists on the table, give me stats. Like maybe sit down with them and be like, it'd be cool to have this sort of stat. How can we figure that out? Right. Or learn why it's hard to get those stats. Yeah, totally. Exactly. Like I I know every time I'm doing a a case study or a testimonial or anything with a customer, like I'm pushing for those. But a lot of times like customers is like, ah, I'm not willing to say that. Or, you know, we're, we're not quite fully ready to, you know, shout out that stat yet. Or, you know, we can't fully attribute that to your solution because, you know, we also but Salesforce at the same time, right. <laughs> or like whatever, right? <laughs> Which I hate, but it's the truth. <laughs> I would have to add three, three things. Just communicate more often. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? I mean, I know you talked about the cadence that, that you felt was right. Um, and I agree with you, but I, I can't even tell you how many times um, I talked to sales leaders and they never have conversations with anybody in product at all. Yeah. At all. So communicate more often, um, better align on the messaging, which comes from better communication. Uh, I have clients and I've been in this position myself where product marketing is talking about particular features or aspects or new releases. And I see it and I'm like, well, that doesn't fucking help me at all. Because we never had a conversation and you're kind of pitching something that you think there is value around, but in practicality, it's, it's useless. And I would rather have information about this other thing, right? So just aligning on the the messaging. Um, And the last one is a little bit selfish and perhaps controversial and you might throw your microphone at me, but um, move faster. (laughs) Yeah. Move faster. I mean, you know, because you've been in the seat when you're a sales leader or an AE and Richard said, like, we want things done now and, and, and you know, yesterday. Um, I think too often the engine and, and the, the, the revolutions per, per minute in, in, in product and in marketing, it, it's not at the same speed as a lot of sales owners. Yeah. And so that can injure and fracture the relationship a bit you know if there's a need for something and you know days turn into weeks turn into months 
and then the thing shows up. It's like, Brandon, I needed that in March, bro. And yeah. It doesn't even help me now, right? Yep. So move yep. faster. So those would be the three things that I would request. Yeah, I, I think product marketers probably could definitely work on all three of those things for sure. No. All right, well, here, here's the one ask for you and your audience. If you know any, you know, great demand gen marketers, ABM marketers, account, uh, like enterprise account executives, you know, we are hiring. So you oh, know, check you out. Go. Good. I love See, that. We, we are hiring right now. <laughs> What's the best way for them to, uh, to, to connect uh, with you, Brandon, as well as with Ring DNA, if anybody's interested in any of the open roles there? Yeah, totally. So uh, yeah, ringdna.com. Um, and then me particularly, I'm, I'm relatively active on LinkedIn. So find me on LinkedIn, say hello, say you you heard me on the podcast and I'll, I'll accept your- You your mentioned request. this podcast, you definitely get taken to the top of the stack. Exactly. Sure. exactly. Otherwise, if it's a generic request, I, yeah. I, chances are I will probably Don't ignore it. Yeah. <laughs> I'll ignore it. Yeah. Well, good to catch up, Brandon. Thanks Gentlemen, so appreciate it. It's been fun, Absolutely. We, we, we'll have to not wait another you know, five I'll years. I'll see you in six years when you've started your nutrition business. Yeah, and, yeah, there you go. You know, your consultant. There you go, yeah. yeah. All right, thanks, <laughs> well, guys. Brandon.